Thank you, sir. Nick, do I have a teaching table coming? Okay, perfect. Um, how's everybody? You, do, you doing okay tonight? That's sad. Um, we'll get better. Thank you, Nick. Um, hey, I just want to start by saying, is, I, I want to just ask a question. Is there, are there any better leaders than Nick and Sky Macedo? I'll wait, I'll wait while you rack your brain trying to figure out who they are because my answer is no, there are not any better leaders than Nick and Sky. I think we just need to thank the Lord that God brought them here and that they are a part of leading you. Um, and it's so good to have them back. Uh, I have yet to meet Wesley Jones Macedo. Um, so as far as I know, he doesn't exist, but I, I have seen pictures but I will be the judge of if he actually exists when I do see him. Now, from what I hear, the reason they've been gone is because they did create a human, and there is now an extra human on the planet. There's like eight billion and one humans now, and Wesley is the next one. And um, so we're, we're very excited about that, and I think for the last three weeks, Nick and Sky have been trying to sleep. Uh, if any of you have kids or have been around kids, you know that for like the first 18 years, you don't sleep much. Um, and then eventually you get to sleep again. Um, I am really, really glad to be here tonight. I, uh, the first time I spoke here was like a year and a half ago, June of last year. I was in a completely kind of different season of life then. Um, I was living in an Airbnb as we were like six months into our move back here to Albuquerque, trying to figure out what we were doing and where we were going. And so um, it's, it's been a year and a half or so since I've been here. And so I feel a little rusty. But I'm excited tonight to share with you something that I believe is um, a message that God has been writing in and through my life for a long time now. And I've gotten to share kind of bits and pieces of what I'm sharing tonight in lots of different ways over the years. But it was so cool when Nick came to me just a few months ago and asked me to teach specifically on this topic. I'm going to be in uh, Judges chapter 13 through 16, by the way, if you brought a Bible. But one, not only is this a favorite message of mine because um, it's something that God's been teaching me for a long time, but also it's one of the favorite messages I've written as of late because today I finished writing the message with a cup of eggnog. And I don't know about you, but tis the season for eggnog. I figured I would just start the night by dividing the room. Who's for eggnog? Come on, who's the pro-noggers in the room? Okay. And, and then who's anti-nog? Yeah, okay. Put your hands down. Go home, all right? No, don't go home. Later, after, after. You go home with everybody else, okay? Um, eggnog, now listen, I don't, I still, I'm a 39-year-old grown man, and I don't know what eggnog is, and I would like to keep it that way, okay? It's one of those things that if you're like me, you're like, this tastes magical, and I can only imagine what I'm drinking. And I would like to only imagine. Like, I know Google exists, and I can use it really well. And I could find out in about three seconds what, is, what eggnog is made of. And I would just like to live in my ignorance, okay? So could you just let me sip my holiday drink in ignorance? Can you just do that? Like, don't ruin the, don't ruin the Christmas season for me. I would just like to know, not know, what my eggnog is, and just enjoy it, okay? Because, as they say, ignorance is bliss. And in this season, ignorance is Christmas bliss, and I'm enjoying it. Now, 
that phrase, ignorance is bliss, I have found actually doesn't play out in real life. Like, it's working pretty good for eggnog so far, but for most other things I face in my life, turns out ignorance is not normally bliss. Um, in fact, ignorance can get you in a lot of trouble, which is why I think the series that we're wrapping up tonight that you guys have been journeying through, When Life Gives You Lemons, I think this is such a valuable series because it's real life. It's talking about how do we respond when life doesn't go like we planned, like you wanted an orange and you got a lemon. And what happens? How do you respond in those moments? And, and when difficulty hits and when pain is real, how do you respond in those moments? And I, I, I know that it's appealing to come probably on a Sunday night, especially as you're gearing up for a week of finals, and get like an uplifting, encouraging, spiritual hug of a message. But sometimes we need just the real stuff about, well, sometimes life gives us lemons. And we need to know how to respond to that. And so, so far, I know if you guys have been here for the last few weeks, you've heard some, from some pretty incredible speakers. I've heard from a few of them so far. I was here on week one for Nick, and uh, he, he talked to us from the life of Moses. And then you guys have heard from Pastor Taylor, uh, the life of Elijah. Um, last week was Clay Schroff, and you heard from all, uh, he, he kind of spoke on a lot of different great men and women of Scripture. But tonight, we're going to kind of take a little bit of a turn, okay? So the series is called When Life Give you, Gives You Lemons. But here's the title of my message tonight if you're a note taker. Here's the title of the message. When you give yourself lemons and you suck at making lemonade. Okay, because here's the idea. Here's the, here's the big truth for tonight. Here's, I'm, I'm going to sum up my message right now. Listen, just because you're suffering does not make you the victim. Here, here's where I'm going. You may be in a season of suffering right now because you put yourself there. And we're going to look at the life of, of Samson, who got himself into quite the predicament, not because he was the victim, but because he chose a life of rebelling against what God had called him to until the very, very end. And so, the, you know, the reality is that sometimes life is rough because people are mean and the world is broken. That's how, that's how a lot of us would like to think why we would like to think life is rough. Well, because it's everybody else's fault. People are mean and the world is broken. And that is true in many ways. But also sometimes life is rough because you are toxic and self-sabotaging, right? Like you just make some bad decisions. And so I just came here with a message of hope. Although we're going to hear plenty of bad news tonight, there's a lot of good news in sprinkled throughout the story of Samson, like the cinnamon and the eggnog, okay? It's all sprinkled throughout there, and there's good stuff all the way through because there is hope. The, me the message of the gospel is that there is hope for the most self-sabotaging sinner. And no matter how far down the road you've gotten yourself into a season of choosing lemons for yourself, there is hope out, okay? So we're going to start in Judges 13. We're going to go through about four chapters. I'm only going to pick a few verses as we go. 
just to kind of give kind of a flyover of the life of Samson, we're literally going to go from womb to tomb tonight, from the, the announcement of his birth till his final breath. Judges chapter 13, we're going to start down in verse 2. It says, now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren. And had no children. Now, just quick backstory. I know we're like parachuting into the story of Samson here. Our, our context here is we're in the middle of Judges, the book of Judges. It's a time where God is raising up what uh, Scripture calls the Judges to kind of shepherd the people back to repentance. And they go through these cycles of sin multiple times over, where they'll be living in sin, idolatry, and because of that, they, they've chosen these lemons for themselves. They end up in a season of suffering or slavery. God raises up the next judge, and that's where we come into the life of Samson. We come into the life of Samson, and here is his mom and dad. Manoah is his dad. Uh, Manoah's wife, Samson's mom, was barren and had no children, which I love when they start a story like that because you can kind of guess where this is headed because God is a God who breaks down what we say is impossible. So it says she can't have any kids, and the angel of the Lord, verse 3, appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Sometimes what God needs to do to get your attention is point out all the things that you hate about yourself. Because, come on, you know that this lady was, was dealing with this shame that I can't even have a kid. Especially in the Bible days. This is a big deal. And so the angel of the Lord showed up and immediately started in with the bad news. You are barren and can have no children. Sometimes God needs to pinpoint the areas of our lives that need the fixing so that our attention is on those, and then he can swoop in with the good news. But you shall conceive and bear a son. Those are two things that were impossible biologically, chemically, scientifically for this woman to do. Verse 4, now therefore, please be careful, the angel tells her, not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. And no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So he introduces this concept of the Nazarite vow. You can read more about this in Numbers chapter 6 if you want to fall asleep quicker. You can go there tonight and read that. Um, and it's basically a chapter of here's all of the things that a Nazarite, someone who has taken the Nazarite vow, cannot do. And it really comes down to three things. Number one, no eating or drinking from the fruit of the vine. So no wine. Obviously in this culture, um, in our culture, but far more so in biblical culture, everyone was drinking from the fruit of the wine. Or, or the vine. They were drinking wine. And so this was immediately a mandate for self-control. While the rest of the world is doing that, you will not be self-control. The second thing is that they were not allowed a haircut. Sounds kind of odd, but think about it. Someone in this day without a haircut ever, no razor shall touch his head, immediately makes a visual statement, doesn't he? He stands out from the rest. So God says, your child will be a Nazarite. He will have self-control, and he will stand out. 
And the third thing is that they were not to touch anything dead, which I don't know about you, but that's like a general rule of thumb for me. I don't, you know, maybe you're into that. I'm not. Like, I try to live my life kind of by that third rule of the Nazarite. Call me a Nazarite if you want. I'm not, but I am following the third rule. Don't touch dead stuff. I just try to, like, stay away at all costs. I call my daughters in to help me with that, okay? There's a dead bug. We'll t- they'll take care of it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay, so no touching dead things is the third. Now, that might sound kind of odd, but think about it. The, the, the followers of God are called to a life of purity and life. And so from the moment the angel makes uh, an announcement about the life of Samson, he says he will be self-controlled, he will be set apart, and he will be separate to the calling that I have for him. And he says that will happen from the moment he's born till the moment he dies, from womb to tomb. This is a parallel for the calling of the follower of Jesus. Self-controlled, set apart, separate. In the world, not of it. From womb to tomb. This is your calling. This is Samson's calling. Specifically as the angel details it. Now, um, if we keep going, skip down to verse 8. It says, Manoah prayed to the Lord. So when the angel first came, Manoah wasn't there. So Manoah prayed to the Lord and he said, Oh my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. Skip down to verse 11. So Manoah rose, the angel appears basically, and it says Manoah rose and followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he said to him, are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. Manoah said, now let your words come to pass. Now this key, this next question is so key. We're going to come back to it. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? So he asks the angel this, this question. Now skip ahead to verse 20. The angel's about to depart. It says, it happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And when Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. Verse 25, and the spirit of the Lord began to move upon Samson at Menena Dan between Zorah and Eshtael. So if you get in your mind where Zenoah and Eshtael are, then you'll know right where the spirit of the Lord is moving. You got that locked in? No, that's okay. I don't either. But that is a real place. And the Spirit of the Lord descended on this baby, on this growing young boy, and and he began to work. Now, um, this makes all Instagram pregnancy announcements pale in comparison, right? Like that was a cute Instagram post that you were, you know, were like so excited for you or your uncle or whoever it was that announced this. But... Samson's birth announcement included an angel and pyrotechnics, okay? This blows them all out of the water. And and here is this incredible, like we start off like, man, who is this guy going to be? If you don't know where Samson's life is going, you're like, we're, we're enthralled on this already. Like there's no way I'll ever measure up to this guy. And I want us to just start, just to make sure tonight that we start on, the, on level playing field. Okay, I'm going to give you four thoughts to write down. Here's number one. Jot this down. We all start the same. Sinners called to greatness. All of us. Samson, but also me, and also everyone in here. We're sinners. We're flawed. We will fail and fall. And yet God is calling us to greatness. This is how we all start. 
Now, I would imagine if your birth announcement was anything like mine, that it was a whole lot less angelic than Samson's. And yet, I want to just state that although it was far less angelic, your birth announcement, the moment somebody became aware that you were going were gonna to one day step foot on this planet, although less angelic than Samson's announcement is no less significant. Your calling is just as big as his. We are all, we all start this same way. And so where do we start? I think we need to take our cues from Samson's dad, Manoah. The angel had just showed up. And Manoah goes, hey, are, are you the one that said we're having a baby? Because I got some questions, all right? Now let me pull out my scroll. And he just starts listing questions. And I love this in verse 12. He just asks this one phrase. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? In another translation, it says, what is his mission and what is his manner of life? And I think this, is, this should be the prayer of our lives. Hey, God. What do you want me to do, and how do you want me to do it? And I promise you, if you will just on repeat pray that prayer, God, what do you want me to do, and how do you want me to do it? You won't have to go finding God's will for your life because you'll be right in the middle of it. Everywhere you step, if you just go, hey, God, what do you want me to do, and how do you want me to do it? And then if, when he answers, you follow, you'll be right where God wants you, even when things get rough. And I love that Manoah sets the tone for us in this way. What is my mission and what is my manner of life? Now, I think it's also important for us to understand that the moment you, the, the, the moment you were born, your birth is significant. The devil is on a prowl. He's on the prowl. He's out for your head. And here's the scary thing about the devil. Now, now listen, follow me on this. If you are a follower of Jesus, let me make this clear. If you've put your faith in Jesus, the devil cannot touch your salvation. That's good news. Bad news is he's really good at distracting you so that you throw away your calling. He, he can't destroy you, but he's really good at distracting you and derailing you. And so we have to understand that it's a battle for our calling. Now, let's skip to the next chapter, chapter 14. We kind of pick up with Samson. He's seen a girl who has caught his eye. She's a Philistine, though. And if you remember, the angel said, the angel had, had told Samson's parents, um, Samson is going to start delivering the nation of Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Well, he sees this cute Philistine chick and goes after her. Chapter 14, verse 5, Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now, this, here's something interesting. To his surprise, a young lion came out roaring against him. Now, where many people would run, Samson does in verse 6, the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat. So that gives you a frame of reference. Think about how you would tear a young goat, and then you know how Samson tore the young lion. Are you getting that? You're like, okay, last time I tore a young goat. Okay, now, I, now I'm seeing it. 
So just so for your frame of reference, though he had nothing in his hand, he did this. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and he talked with the Philistine woman. And she pleased Samson well. After some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were inside the carcass of the lion. Now remember, that part of Samson's calling was of a Nazarite was not to touch dead things, right? Well, verse 9, he took some of the honey in his hands and went along eating it. And when he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. First thoughts, ew. (laughs) Um, Next thought, you've heard of local honey. Have you heard of lion carcass honey? Because that's what we have in play right here. My third thought as a parent is, okay, This is a rookie parenting mistake. Nick, I hope you're taking notes on this. When your kid brings you a snack, you ask, hey, where'd you get that? And if he says, there was a dead lion and I scooped it out of the carcass, you go, go wash your hands right now. And I don't want that, okay? They did not ask any of those questions. They're like, no way. Honey, he brought honey. Come on, let's eat. And so they're just chowing down on the lion carcass honey, okay? Now remember, part of the Nazarite vow, don't go near a dead body. Now this is, this is important because it wasn't, the, the sin was not in him killing the lion. This, the, it says the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he tore the lion apart. But that should have been his final interaction with the lion. Now, if you are like Samson and like me, you know that sometimes curiosity gets the best of us. And as he made his way down that same path, he remembered the scene where God had used him. And instead of just continuing on, curiosity got the best of him. And it says he turned aside to go down to where the lion was. Anytime that we're going where God has called us to go, and we instead follow a path of curiosity where we shouldn't go, that's exactly what the devil is doing, is leading us aside to death. And so he found the lion, and he partook of the the death. Now, this is where free will and the fact that we were born with a sin nature and the opportunity to make our own decisions, this is where it gets kind of frightening. Because there will be seasons of your life, and you've all dealt with this before, or maybe you're in it, I'm praying God helps you out of it tonight, where you are living a life of sin, indulging in death, but there doesn't seem to be consequences, and life is actually kind of sweet in the middle of your sin. Number two, here's a thought, if you'll jot this down. Sometimes it seems like you're getting away with sin. And that's where Samson found himself. He shouldn't have been near the lion. But not only did he stop to look, but he dipped in and he he got some honey out of it. And I want to warn you tonight of the dangers of delayed consequences that can lead you to false assumptions. 
Here's what I mean by this. Ecclesiastes 8.11 says that when a crime is not punished quickly, some people feel it is safe to do wrong. In other words, think about how much our, our eating habits would change if I ate a donut and gained a pound immediately, right? If there was an immediate consequence with that, I would immediately stop the action. But because we can do things and it seems like we're kind of getting away with it, the delayed consequences can lead us to false assumptions and we can get to this place where we start buying the lie that it must be safe for me to do the wrong thing. And I'm here to correct that tonight and just remind you that it is never safe to do wrong. It is always a false assumption that the delay in consequence is God condoning your sin. Like he's just looking at it and winking at it and it's no big deal. That's not the way that God works. And and just because the consequences are delayed does not mean the lifestyle is okay. But sometimes it seems like you're getting away with sin. And sometimes life is even sweet in the middle of a season of rebellion, just like Samson was here. But let me just remind you that the sweetness of your season of life never removes the poison of the sin that you're allowing in your life. And so just because it seems like everything's going okay while you're indulging in sin doesn't mean that it won't one day catch up to you. Samson here is playing with fire. Now, as we continue in chapter 14 and 15 and 16, it's just this weird spiral of Samson basically doing what Israel's been doing for decades now, indulging in sin, and then the Spirit of God comes upon him and empowers him, and he kills some Philistines, or he gets out of a place where they've trapped him. I mean, it's just this wild scene of like, like God, why are you using this guy? Of, of all of the guys, in chapter 14, he tries to marry this Philistine woman. And it's this whole scene at his wedding. And they, they, they kind of make a, a mockery of him as after he tells a riddle. And so he storms off in anger. And so the Philistine woman's dad gives her in marriage to Samson's best man, if you can imagine. I mean, this is like Jerry Springer in scripture, right? Like, there's a, this is a whole twisted mess chapter 14. Chapter 15, um, he gets captured. Samson finally gets captured, and they tie him up, and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and he breaks the ropes, and he lifts up the gates of the city, and he makes his way out, just kind of narrowly escapes. But again, he's playing with fire. Chapter 16, he meets up with a prostitute in in verse 1, and then by verse 4, he's met who we might call his femme fatale, Delilah the one who will be his his final downfall. Verse 4, chapter 16 says, Afterward, it happened that Samson loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, although probably more accurately we could say he lusted a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him. By the way, if you want to know what the devil's plan is for your life, here it is in verse 5. Entice him, find out where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. 
That's a five-point strategy that the devil has against you. Jesus summed it up in three words. The devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. This is what he's after. You'll hear it said all the time, God loves you and has a plan for your life. Well, the devil has a plan for your life as well. It's to steal, kill, and destroy. And, And the lords of the Philistines were coming after Samson. So remember, Samson has a, manner, uh, has a mission, and he has a manner of life to live by. So look at verse 6. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies, and with what you may be bound to afflict you. Now, this, ladies and gentlemen, is what we would call trouble. Trouble has entered the scene, okay? Guys, if you ever get with a, a cute girl, and she goes, you know what? You should just let me in on your secret. What would be the thing if somebody, I don't know, hypothetical situation, somebody wanted to like, I don't know, tie you up and like imprison you. How would they do that? (laughs) Samson's like, that is so funny. I could play this game. So he does. He starts to play the game. Like this, this girl is trouble. So he starts to play the game. He goes, you know, all that it would take is for them to take some fresh bowstrings. They tie me up with some fresh bowstrings, oh man, I'm toast. There's no way. So wouldn't you know it, he goes down for a nap and she finds some fresh bowstrings. They tie him up and she goes, oh no, Samson, they have tied you up with seven fresh bowstrings. You better get up. And he snaps them. The spirit of the Lord comes upon him. He breaks them. This happens again. Samson, okay, I know we were joking last time, but seriously, If somebody wanted to tie you up, what would they have to do? He's like, you know what they need? Fresh ropes. They need fresh ropes. So same thing happens again. He goes down for a nap. He wakes up tied up in fresh ropes. Shouldn't the guy catch a cue at this point? Like, shouldn't something, like, there should be, there's a lot, talk about relational red flags. This one's full of them. Well, he snaps him again. He gets away from the enemy. Happens again. She goes, well, what would it take? And he goes, if you would just take my dreadlocks and weave them into a loom like a rug. <laughs> like, he's just making stuff up at this point. She's like, that's it. That'll do it. He goes down for a nap. She weaves his hair into a loom. And then he wakes up, and same thing happens. The hair, he, he, he gets out of the whole thing, and he escapes. Well, she keeps pressing. And, and here's the problem. Back to the lion scenario. Samson has gotten used to playing and indulging in sin and getting away with it. And so now he's in a situation where he thinks he could just play around with this girl. Verse 16, and it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death that he told her, now that is like nagging, okay? Vexed to death. He told her all his heart. And he said to her, no razor has come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, come up once more, For he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep. This is what sin and temptation does. 
hypnotizes us and lulls us to sleep on its lap. She called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. And then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as, as before at other times and shake myself free. You see what sin does? You get used to playing with fire. You don't get burned immediately. You get cocky. He got arrogant here. He goes, I'll just do it like I did the other times. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Here's the saddest verse in his story. The Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. The man whose birth was announced by the angels is blind and naked and doing the job of a slave in a mill. This was never where God wanted Samson. But he played with fire one too many times. Third thought for you tonight. Eventually, your sin will catch you. I read commentaries on Samson, and it's interesting because some commentators will, will mention that Samson multiple times single-handedly beat the Philistines. Almost like that's a badge of honor, like something we should be proud of Samson for. But the irony is that Samson is the only judge mentioned in the book of Judges who fought alone. He repeatedly isolated himself, separated himself from all of the other people that he could have leaned on, godly relationships. And I think it's important for us to remind ourselves tonight that battling your sin single-handedly is not a badge of honor. We were built for each other. This is what, like, like there's so many people who want to just like sit at home and watch a live stream of a sermon. And people will say, well, I don't need to go to church to go to heaven. Okay, well, there's some truth in that. But here's the reality. How are you going to live out the life that God has called you to live if you're not in community with other people? The Bible says to bear one another's burdens. How are you going to bear anybody else's burdens if you're sitting on your couch watching live streams all the time, right? Now, listen, I'm not trying to say anything bad about a, a YouTube channel or a podcast. I'm just saying we need each other. And there is no way that you can live the life of victory that God has called you to live single-handedly trying to beat the Philistines. There's an enemy that's real, and he's coming after you, and you can't try to wear a badge of honor like I can do it on my own because you will end up like Samson. Samson ended up in a place that he was never supposed to be. And I want to highlight that Samson was not the victim of his sin. He was the product of isolation. He chose to cut himself off from everybody who was healthy in his life. And this is where it took him. That's a lot of bad news. But I'm thankful that his story ends with hope. And maybe my favorite verse in his whole story is a weird one, okay? Chapter 16, verse 22, says, However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. And you're like, obviously. 
But here's what I get from this. Number four, if you're taking notes, write this down. I hope this is just maybe a banner statement over your life. Failure is not final. So his head got shaved. It shouldn't have. But I'm here to remind you that God is at work in your life, even in your lowest moments. And I'm here to remind you that failure is an event, not a person. You are not what you did. Don't settle into that lie. Listen, we are all born with a sin nature and we're really good naturally at sinning. But let's not give ourselves so much credit to think that we could sin so much that we would get to a place where we've outsinned God's grace. Can I just remind you tonight, you can never outsin God's grace. He's always within reach if you'll turn back. Don't get comfortable at rock bottom. Here's Samson grinding in the mill where he was never supposed to be. But look how the story ends. Verse 23. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened when their hearts were merry, so they're drunk now, that they said, call for Samson, that he may perform for us. Bring out the entertainment, they said. So they called for Samson from the prison. Now watch this scene. He performed for them, and they stationed him between the pillars. And then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women, all the lords of the Philistines were there. About 3,000 men and women were on the roof watching while Samson performed down below. Then Samson called to the Lord. There it is. That's the phrase of hope right there. Samson called to the Lord saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may, be, that I may with one blow Take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. And then Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. Now watch God's redeeming hand. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. Two amazing things happened through Samson's death. Number one, he overcame his past failures. God accomplished more through him in his death than he ever had in his life. Many in this moment of Samson's life would have given up, but Samson returned and God redeemed. So in his death, he overcame the past, but I love this second thing that happened in his death. 
He pointed to the future. Did you catch? Maybe maybe just look back through those verses again. If you look real closely, you can see Jesus in these verses. Imagine the scene. A prisoner taken hostage, stripped, beaten, bruised, led through a crowd of mocking onlookers. He stretched out his hands and through his death crushed the enemy. Look at the story of the gospel that emerges from a life redeemed by the hand of God. I don't know what season you find yourself in tonight. But I wonder if all of us were being honest and raw and real. Maybe there's somebody in the room that you can really trust and lean into in a relationship and and just be honest with them. Maybe you are in a season like Samson was with this lion where you are living in sin, doing something that you know you shouldn't be, and yet there doesn't seem to be any consequences. Life actually maybe feels pretty sweet right now. It's a dangerous game to play to assume that the delay in consequences means your sin is okay. And the longer you play with sin, the higher probability that you're going to get burned. And so I guess my encouragement to you tonight is to personalize his his prayer. Verse 28, Samson just said, Oh Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once. Oh God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines from my two eyes. What do you need to fill in the blank there for tonight? What do you need? Just start your prayer with that. Oh Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once. Now, fill in the blank. What is the thing? What is the thing that you know you need to cut out of your life? What is the thing that you know you need to walk away from? What is the thing that you know you need God's strength to stop indulging in? I'm just here to tell you that if God could redeem the life of blind Samson, I promise you there's hope for you in the middle of the season that you're in, in the pain that you're facing. You picked the lemons and you suck at lemonade, okay? You got yourself into this situation. You are not the victim. You are the product of your isolation. Listen, here's what you do. Accept the responsibility and then accept God's help. He's extending his hand. You are as close to God as you want to be. The Bible says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. If you'll just accept his help, he'll pick you up. He'll turn your life around. He'll begin to do things in your life that you couldn't do any other way. And he'll bring, he'll breathe hope into the future season. We serve a God of redemption. You thankful for that tonight? That no matter how far you've gone, no matter what you've done, God is there. He's right there with you. So whatever you've gotten yourself into, God is ready to help you out. It's not about the specific wording of the prayer. It's about your willingness to surrender. Are you ready? Would you bow your heads with me?
want to pray for you. And maybe someone in here tonight needs to just say, I'm ready to surrender to Jesus. I don't know your story. I don't know the season you're facing or the pain that you're in, but I know God does. So God, I just pray over every person in this room. Thank you, God, for bringing us here. Thank you for the way that your word is so real and raw. It doesn't candy coat the way that your people lived. Samson's life is ugly and yet so relatable. And so, God, I pray that you would empower, embolden every person in this room tonight that needs to make a decision, that needs to surrender. Lord, right here in this moment, they would just cry out to you. And if that's you, I want to just give you a chance right now, just by lifting up your hand. By lifting your hand, you're just saying, I, I need to surrender tonight. I recognize I need to let go of some things in my life. I see your hand in the back, right over here on the side, in the middle, on the side, all the way over here on the side. You put your hands down after you've raised them. But after, you, when you're raising your hand, you're just saying, I, I, I recognize it tonight. I need that. I need to surrender to Jesus. I got something in my life. God, remember me just this once, and I promise if you'll cry out, he's ready. I see your hand back there in the back. Over here, there's like eight, nine hands gone up so far. These, these are people who are right here on the front row. People are saying, I'm ready to take that step. I need Jesus. I need to surrender. Listen, God's just waiting for you to be willing. The best news of the night is that your future can be more fruitful than the greatest season of your life in the past. God is the redeemer. You are not a failure. Sure, you failed, we all have. But you're not what you did. You don't have to be defined by your mistakes. By the grace of God, we're redeemed. If you lifted your hand, I wanna pray for you right now. God, I just lift up those people who made a decision, who are making a decision tonight. Maybe it's a first time decision of surrender. Maybe they're coming back to you. Whatever it might be, Lord, I just pray that right now, in this moment, you would meet them. And God, you would even right now as we're praying, put somebody in on their mind that they need to tell this news to. Because we don't want to be a group of Samsons who are just isolated from everybody else trying to fight the battle on our own. God, I pray they would speak up about the decision they're making tonight. They would really walk with you and surrender and let go. God, thank you for your grace and your ability to redeem. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, we're going to sing a couple songs here.